Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 8 of Citizen Dame, the podcast where I think we're just becoming demoralized by Hollywood. <laughs> As always, I am Kristen Lopez here with the amazing Karen Peterson. Hi. Lauren Humphreys-Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Hello. And where do we want to start today, guys? Let's start with the, the noir film thing. Something okay, happy. Okay, so yeah, let's... Let's do something fun to start us off. If you know what's going on on Twitter, or if you are a diehard Turner Classic Movies fan, then you should know that November is actually Noir-vember, wherein it's all about celebrating that dark, shadowy world of film noir. And we decided that, uh, well, actually, Lauren brought it up, and we all kind of agreed, that we would uh, pick some of our favorite noir films of the past and present. So, Lauren, since you came up with this, uh, why don't you start us off? All right, well, the one that I always go to, so, I mean, it's a classic, is The Big Sleep. That's such a good one. Uh, which is just so good. It's, it's pr- I, I would argue that it is the perfect film noir. It just hits all of the buttons. The, the I mean, obviously, the chemistry between Bogey and McCall is so good, but it's just such a sharp, well-made film, so well-written, funny and dark, and deals with all kinds of fascinating things. It's just like, it's I, I don't know, it's the quintessential film noir. So it's definitely one of my favorites. The other one uh, that I actually was just thinking about today because I hadn't watched it recently was is um, uh, The Long Goodbye. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, They're showing that at AFI Fest. They are. It's such a good film. And it seems like it's gotten more... For a while, it seems to be quite a lesser film. And I feel like more like within the past couple of years, people have begun to pay more and more attention to it. It's gotten you know more coverage, big, uh, bigger releases. It's it's a great film, and like kind of that and Chinatown sort of are the quintessential neo noirs. So yeah, those are two of my favorites. Uh, Kimberly, what about you? Thinking of two, uh, the first one that I always come back to is definitely got has to be the nineteen. I believe it's nineteen forty six. Seven, Kiss of Death with Victor Mature, Richard Woodmark. That was probably the first film that brought got me into film noir via Richard Woodmark, and that is, I believe it's his first performance in a career performance for him. His Tommy Udo is just such an amazing villain that I've read that he was getting, you know, he got slack from it from viewers for years afterwards just because he was so despicable and so unlikable. And that is uh, that one drew me in. And then the other one I was just thinking about the other day, kind of in the same way with Lauren that I haven't seen it in forever, was uh, Sweet Smell of Success. Oh, that's a Burt bleak Lancaster, one. Tony Curtis. I'm sorry? That's a bleak one. That is. And it's just so good. It's the, from the performances from Lancaster and Curtis, just at probably their slimiest. Yeah. It's always been a definite favorite of mine. Karen, what about you? So I'm going to admit that I'm really not that knowledgeable in the noir genre. It's not one that I've spent a lot of time on. I do watch classic films, but uh, and I, I know there are more modern films that are, fall into the noir category too, but the first one that I thought of was Double Indemnity. Yeah. Yes. Oh yes. my gosh. That's oh, such a good one. I haven't watched it in a long time. I actually really want to revisit it, but I just... Oh my gosh. I love... You can play a pretty good drinking game if you drink every time Fred McMurray says baby. Right? (laughs) (laughs) And I just love Barbara Stanwyck and just, oh, yeah. So that's my pick. My pick, if we're going to go classic, um, I have to say Out of the Past with Robert Mitchum. Uh, Mm -hmm. Robert Mitchum is kind of like one of the kings of noir and he's so damn good looking um and jane greer is so beautiful it's such a weirdly sexually charged type of movie um even though it has kirk douglas in it i won't hold that again god uh, both my my modern pick and my classic pick have problems okay so kirk douglas is in this one i'll let that go my my favorite neo-noir up until last week uh would be la confidential mm-hmm. which i love la it's a great it's a great film and it's the film that that really hearkened to my love of classic cinema, even though Kim Basinger is not Veronica Lake at all. She's way too tall. Rita Hayworth, maybe. Um, not at all. Not at all Vicky Lake. Um, so I, I love it so much, and I would have praised somebody in it, but they're horrible now. So yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. It's still a great movie. Still a great movie. So I, I feel like we need to leave the garbage men for a while, even though that would have been a really great segue. And let's talk 
let's try to talk some positive stuff. Um, get out some some casting news really, really briefly. One of the worst kept secrets of the Lion King CGI remake um, was that Beyonce was going to be involved, and it was officially confirmed that she is going to be the voice of Nala or adult Nala, if you want to split hairs on you know, young and old, um, in the new Lion King film. Eh, I mean, we all knew about this for months, didn't we? I, I have paid almost no attention to any of the Lion King casting just because I don't care. But, so this was sort of a surprise to me. I mean, I hadn't, because I hadn't really been paying attention to it, so I was like, oh, Beyonce, yeah, well, okay, fine, great, good for her. The thing with Nala is that Nala, like, adult Nala is barely in the film. Yeah. She's pretty passive. I, I would be surprised if anybody knows who voiced her in the original film. No idea. Yeah, no. no, no it's Moira no Kelly. Idea. It's Moira Kelly. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. Uh, I did know that, actually. Yeah. Um, see, but nobody remembers because right. the character is so unnecessary. The one thing um, about the casting that I'm glad they went with was James Earl Jones for Mufasa because they yeah. had to. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, you can't always, not. <laughs> exactly. I'm always going to be a little sad that Jeremy Irons isn't in it because that's, that's one of my favorites. Mm. Um, but Chiwetel Ejiofer's Scar is going to be really, really good. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for this one. I wish people would stop calling it live action because it's not. I know. I mean, they're not going to get real lions to do this. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, <laughs> that comes out when... It's sometime next I think year. It's nineteen. Twenty nineteen. Twenty nineteen. So yeah, Beyonce. I mean, she's gonna sing "Can You Feel the Love Tonight." Like, yeah. it's not gonna get nominated for anything unless they do an original song, which I would not be surprised if they mm-hmm. create a totally original oh, song for her will. to sing so that it can get they nominated. Sure oh, they will. totally will. They most definitely will. Yeah, and she'll <laughs> exactly. co-write it so will. that she gets a writing nomination. So. Uh, well, speaking of musicians, uh, let's talk about the fact that Diane Warren is getting a career achievement award. Yes, she is. I'm going to I'm going to let you explain cuz I did not know about this. Okay. Well, the the Hollywood Music and Media Awards are coming up and they do this every year and it's it's like the I don't know how many years, but basically they it's to celebrate music in all kinds of things from TV, movies, I pretty sure they even talk about like do commercials all that stuff so it's really exciting diane warren has been nominated for what like eight oscars for original song she's written the original songs for so many movies even when she didn't get nominated and like you know her work you definitely know her work and so now she's getting the career achievement award and it's very exciting yeah, this is, it's always great to see somebody who, who probably should have a mess of awards get something, even though, you know, Diane Warren, I think, should should have a whole mess of, of Oscars and Grammys and all of that, so. Well, she definitely has Grammys. Well, um, she should have more. She, she should def- have definitely she have should more. have all the Grammys <laughs> is what she should have. She see, should I, f- I feel terrible because I, I mean, I'm not, you know, well-versed at my music. And I was totally unfamiliar with the name until I looked her up. And I'm absolutely stunned that I've been unfamiliar and embarrassed that I've been unfamiliar for Okay, so well, let's run through. These are the she's- songs that she's been nominated for that she has not won. In 20, well, for the 2015 movie The Hunting Ground, the documentaries, she wrote the song Till It Happens to You with Lady Gaga. Before that, she wrote the song Grateful for Beyond the Light. She yeah. wrote There You'll Be for Pearl Harbor, uh, Music of My Heart for Music of the Heart. I Don't Want to Miss a Thing from Armageddon. Yep. <laughs> it's like yeah. probably one of her biggest ones. How Do I Live from Con, Con Air, Air, which is still on the mu- on the radio all the time. Because You Loved Me from Up Close and Personal. Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. It's a classic song from Mannequin. So those are just the um, songs that she's been nominated And for. let's not forget the little ditty that she made in 2000. Can't Fight the Moonlight for the Coyote Ugly soundtrack. Okay, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is a jam forever. So yeah, yeah. I, am, I am happy to hear this. So other casting uh, news that we got uh, coming out here. Julianne Moore is going to play Gloria Steinem uh, for a movie. This is courtesy of Deadline. Yeah, Karen, why don't you uh, take it away and tell us tell us about this? All right, so there, so Gloria Steinem, of course, feminist icon, activist. She's been around for decades. She wrote a memoir called My Life on the Road. And that is being turned into a film, a 
feature film from June Pictures, and Julie Taymor is going to direct it. So not only do you have the awesome Julianne Moore playing Gloria Steinem, you've got Julie Taymor uh, directing it. So it's a double punch of awesome ladies. And let's not forget the fact that Gloria Steinem is also Christian Bale's stepmom. That's for, she was for a while <laughs> until his dad died. So well, yeah. there's that, but there's still always that connection. <laughs> but yeah, it's true. Yeah, um, I I love anything Julie Tamer does. I'm surprised that again another woman who should have a whole lot of awards because I I love her movies so much. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is kind of like the perfect balance of actress, subject, and director for me. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that they're like, I mean, it would have been so stupid if they had a man directing this film. (laughs) Which I, you know, and and we didn't, we didn't bring it up, but it might be worth, worth exploring. I mean, that, I'm sure that they thought of that. I'm sure Hollywood thought of that. Just like Hollywood thought that it would be okay to whitewash crazy rich Asians. Um, You know, I I mean, they (laughs) I love that story. I just love that. We're going to whitewash Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, like, yes, could we, that's a good could we idea. Maybe have, like, a, could we maybe name it Crazy Rich Asians dot dot dot, but with a white person? I mean, <laughs> it just makes sense. It just makes sense to them. So, yeah, I am, I'm sure that they consulted with uh, some male directors before they were like, um, how horrible do we want to be today? Well, speaking of Julie Tamer, let's uh, hit our one listener question from this week, um, because I think it's interesting. It's from at the Nick Isaac. He says, what would we consider to be the canon of women-directed films? So what what do we consider as, as a canon of women-directed films? Is it just quality? Is it just that it's women? I mean, what, what, did, what are some films you guys want to throw out that you think would be kind of must-sees? if you're looking to get the best of, of female directors. Well, if you're, if you're talking about a canon, then you're also talking about the films that are important. Yes. So, so one of the, the one that immediately sprung to my mind was um, The Adventures of Prince Ahmed by Lady Renninger, the animated German film from, it's like 1912 or 1926. And it's a, it's a brilliant film, but it's also incredibly important in animation. It's one of the first animated feature films uh and i feel like she's not that well known except for this this one particular film but even then like it was only a couple years ago that one of my friends introduced me to to the film and i was like why have i not heard of this uh so that one's really important uh the other one just about anything by ida lupino yeah um but particularly the hitchhiker i would like to submit the entire filmography of amy heckerling yes yeah. Yeah. Amy Heckerling's career is is so definitive for and so defining for so many females. You know, whether it's Clueless or whether it's something like Look Who's Talking. I can tell you that I learned about the birds and the bees from Look Who's Talking. The like first <laughs> ten minutes, which I I'm sure my mother was horrified because I watched that as a small child because my mom thought it's about a talking baby. Like it it's a kids movie, right? <laughs> It was not until I asked her and she watched the opening credits with me and I was like, Mom, what's with the tadpoles going on over here? I mean, like, what's that about? She was like, why did I let you watch this? So so some films for me, um, I would say The Virgin Suicides, got to represent for my girl, Sofia Coppola. I'd also say, and it's a movie that I know was really important when it came out and the director has talked about how difficult it's been to get similar levels of success since but Kimberly Pierce and Boys Don't Cry which mm-hmm. Boys Don't Cry is probably one of the best movies I think in the modern era and and Kimberly Pierce directs the hell out of it but she's been very vocal about the fact that that movie really pigeonholed her and has prevented her from making movies that she's wanted they just announced that she's directing something new and I'm trying to remember what it was I was just like oh wow that's I can't I can't think uh, of it either because I and I made a joke about it on one of my chats because Deadline had spelled her name wrong initially. <laughs> of course they did. Oh, well, we're looking that up. Karen, what what are or Kimberly? What about you? What are some? Um, well, for one of the first ones that sprung to my mind, Lauren already mentioned The Hitchhiker. I did uh-huh. um, Ida Lupino. And that has been one of my favorite film noirs since I've saw I've seen it years ago. But then a few others that sprang to my mind were. Oh, um, and I am told anything by Dorothy Arzner. Yeah. Dance Girl Dance is the first one that really jumps out for me. Vagabound, Agnes Varda. 
is something yeah. I saw years ago back in the film school days and has stuck with me for a long time. And uh, Maya Darren, Meshes in the Afternoon, a short film from the 40s. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I was also going to say Jane Campion. Oh, yeah. Um, the, one, the one that came to my mind was Bright definitely. Star, but uh, she also directed The Piano. She directed Portrait of a Lady. You know, these are like, these are these are major films. I think I think we kind of... Under- She's been doing the, the Top of the Lake is on uh, yeah. television, right? Yeah, I think we kind of underestimate actually how many female directors have been out there and have actually... Oh, another one, Catherine, um, Catherine Bigelow, Point mm-hmm. Break. Yeah, there, oh, there are so Catherine many Bigelow. women directing male-dominated films, and I think we tend to forget that because we most people often assume that women direct women. So, like, I think of, like, Penelope Spheris who did Wayne's World and had done a, a History of the World Part 1, the, the Rock Docs. Um, I, I mean, was a, a director of several male-dominated franchises and pretty much got, like, blackballed as difficult and, st- and has been directing crap ever since, which makes makes me very sad to hear. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there's there's a litany of films, I think, if we if we go further back. I mean, we didn't bring up, People like Gurinder Chadha, who did Bend It Like Beckham. I'd also throw out, like, Andrea Arnold. Pretty much anything that ends in Fish Tank yeah. or American Honey. There's... See, and I think uh, Sarah Pauly's doing yeah. such good work, too. Yeah, um, it, yes, Of so. course, we didn't bring up... Uh, Miranair. Ava DuVernay, we didn't bring up... We didn't bring her up. She's awesome. It's kind of like a foregone conclusion that we, we see. Yeah, she's amazing. I mean, there. I was just looking at somebody had asked me what my top ten of the year was currently, and I was so surprised and happy at how many movies I had that were directed by women this year in my my top ten. I mean, I I can't tell you the last time that's happened. So you know, either I'm getting more discerning taste, or we're seeing a lot more women directing movies that are actually going out into theaters. I'm not saying we solve feminism, but you know, it's we're definitely seeing more women getting the opportunity to make movies that are being promoted and put in theaters. Definitely. Any other thoughts we have on that? I didn't know if Karen found the film or not. I did. It is um it is on Am- is for Amazon. It's called This is Jane. And it is an adaptation of Laura Kaplan's nonfiction book, The Story of Jane, the Legendary Underground Feminist Abortion Service. The true story of a secret wow. feminist group who provided abortions before it was legalized. Okay, that sounds amazing. Is this out? This is out now? No, this is. She just got signed on to direct it. Okay, well, they need to have this now because okay. it sounds amazing. That sounds yeah. great. Yeah. Um, so the last bit of casting news or information that we have out there, they we had, we talked on a previous episode about them trying to remake Hocus Pocus for TV through the Disney Channel. We all, I think, agreed it was a bad idea. Memory serves. Uh-huh. And Bette, mm-hmm. Bette yes. Midler <laughs> seems to agree with us because there is an article on culturist.com. And I'm not saying that because I write for them, but I do write for them. So, yay! <laughs> Where they said that the Hocus Pocus remake does not have Bette Midler's support. She was talking to people and she says, quote, I'm not sure what they're going to do with my character. My character is very, very broad and I don't know who they're going to find to play that. She says, quote, later on, I know it's cheap. It's going to be cheap. (laughs) I love this so much. Um, Yeah, because there's, we've all agreed. And I think one of the things I brought up was that Disney does not put a lot of money into these TV movies. So it's definitely going to be a cheaper production. There's really no reason to remake it when the original is played so abundantly on television. Like, exactly. I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm just happy Bette Midler is making it known. Like, you don't want to irritate her. <laughs> okay, so do we want to talk about Garbage Men? No. I think we kind of have, have to. And then we'll <laughs> end with Thor. Well, the question was, do we want do we, to? Yes, no, we, we don't, don't want, want to. to. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, we have to. Really yeah, nice it would be really totally nice really nice if they would just all stop. And and then we could move on and you know talk about fun yes movies men. And things like well, that. the That's, problem is this we don't want to talk about this, everyone. <laughs> Remember how optimistic we were? Yeah. Last week? Yes. <laughs> I, I I think we said yes, we and- needed that John Oliver we got him button. That uh, yeah, that just that they just hit. Should we say something more like it has been four hours since the last? <laughs> no, I think you know how like in uh, in certain like uh, work environments they have like it's been five days since our last accident. Nope, we just that's what I was trying just, to go for last we, week, and then 
Kevin Spacey fucked yeah, it up. Yeah, we just pitched that. We just pitched that <laughs> shit out the window. It's done. Okay, we're that, not even gonna start counting. That evening too. Okay, yeah. That okay. That evening we had recorded that episode, and then that evening, I think, yeah, I think he waited six hours later. He waited. He waited. He was like, "When are those yeah. bitches gonna record that podcast? Because I'm gonna lay some stuff on them that's just gonna screw we them up." We did it on Sunday because he was counting on something worse breaking in the meantime, and he thought Brett Ratner would overshadow him, but no. Once again, Brett no, Ratner no. disappoints us all. Um, yeah. So, okay, we're going to open the door, and, and we really should get, like, sound effects or something for, like, garbage people segment. I should, we would, yeah. I'll work on I that. will say, when we started this podcast, Karen and I had so many bright hopes for, like, talking about movies from a lady's perspective, and then we've done nothing but talk about how men are horrible, So as we rightfully should. So we had such... Bright starry eyes before. Um, so yeah. Let's just give a super quick rundown of what has happened this week. Karen, why don't you... I can't do nothing but shake my head. So quickly okay. sum up how men are horrible. This is this week in garbage, people. I like this. So, I like this. All right. So it started on Sunday. We had Anthony Rapp accusing Kevin Spacey of stuff. Really, really terrible stuff. When and he was we'll 14 years old. Yes. Underage He stuff. was 14 years old. Exactly. Then Andy Dick got fired off of a movie because of harassing co-stars. Jeremy Piven from Entourage, to the surprise of exactly zero people, also had allegations <laughs> levied against him. Brett Ratner was in the news for about five minutes until Kevin Spacey stuff overshadowed him again, which led to Vulture announcing that the Hugh Hefner biopic starring Jared Leto is suspended. No, I was uh, so Dustin excited Hoffman for that. Finally, <laughs> right? Yeah, the news came out about Dustin Hoffman, and apparently that has not been at all a secret to anybody for years. And um, oh yeah, and Ronan Farrow, who who opened the floodgates after the New York Times story with his New Yorker piece. Also told Stephen Colbert this week that there is a hell of a lot more coming. And so, and Juliana Margulies explained how she was terrified by Steven Seagal in a hotel room. Oh yeah, and yeah, that yeah. she Sorry, that she utilized mm-hmm. that to avoid going to a meeting with Harvey Weinstein. And we're gonna come back to that one. In yeah, a minute, we're we're gonna break a... all of this down um, into nice nice chunks. Well, and the the agent who, or it seems like the agent who assaulted Terry Crews. That was also, also out. He is on leave now. Is the name finally yes. out? I think his last name is Bennett. Okay, because the last I knew, they hadn't said who it was. So so let's get the ones that are not necessarily yeah, w- that interesting out of the way. WME's Adam Bennett. Um. So yeah, let's get the smaller stuff out of the way because I feel like we have a lot more to say about other things. Andy Dick. Is this? Uh, I mean, his name says. I well. mean, okay. I can uh, much like my Brett Ratner story. I have been in Andy Dick's presence. Um. I went to the TCM Film Festival one year and I covered red carpet and he showed up. He was not invited. And they dragged him off of the red carpet. And then my friend and I proceeded to go eat at the Hard Rock Cafe. And he was there. And the cops showed up and proceeded to take him out of there. So that's my wonderful Andy Dick story. This is not surprising. This goes back years. He groped Ivanka Trump on air. And say what you will say about Ivanka Trump as a person. Like... Nobody, Nobody deserves, deserves that. it no on television. Kind of, you know, and the fact that, that. that really irked me was that, like, Jimmy Kimmel kind of played it off. Like, they removed him, but it was still, like, everybody's laughing about them removing him from the show when he, he did that. I don't know why we keep giving him chances. He's not talented. I thought we proved that. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Um, okay, so. Yeah, you're right. He's not interested. <laughs> Jeremy Piven and Entourage. I will say that I was an Entourage fan for uh-huh. a long time. And then I grew up. And then I realized how horrible it is. And I've only <laughs> yeah. ever seen the movie because Army Hammer's in it for about two minutes. Um, and he's adorable. Why he's in it, I don't want to know. <laughs> but but it's not surprising. This is another one. Jeremy Piven is. If you look at anybody and they are described as a ladies' man or a womanizer, that's usually code for like they've probably done something horrible. At least in Hollywood. So. Which is a nice segue into Dustin Hoffman. Yes. The <laughs> Dustin Hoffman story, I can tell you, I had heard that when the Weinstein stuff came out. There was, I'm, I'm part of a, a group, and that there had been talk about somebody coming forward with a story, and this happened a couple weeks later. And this is the one that I've, I, I know I've been seeing a lot of pushback from people because it was really just verbal if if what i'm what the article that i read was I, somebody can elaborate on if it went beyond that it was just more crass jokes 
which are still inappropriate when you're in the workplace. But I'm seeing so many people arguing on Twitter about, well, it's not as bad as everybody else. But then, but that's what started. It, this art, this first article started with a PA that said she was sexually harassed. She was a 17-year-old intern on a film that he had made in 1985, and that the. Death of, yes, death of a salesman that there was inappropriate dialogue he was making um in, uh, inappropriate jokes he was openly flirting he grabbed her um he grabbed her ass essentially and then people were kind of like oh well it's just you know crass crass jokes that doesn't diminish it but that's what people were arguing and then Meryl Streep came forward and said that when they met he inappropriately touched her so you know I, I feel like this one is the one that's getting slowly swept under the rug in, in the light of everything and mm-hmm. I think because he's old. Because he's old and because I know so many people who have asked me in recent weeks, like, but I like him so much. Like, he's cultivated this persona as being, like, America's, like, like Tom Hanks. Like, the, the dad figure, you know? Like, and that, that kills me. I do have to say something about this. That I, I had the same, I almost had the same reaction initially when I heard about the Dustin Hoffman stuff. Like, I, first of extreme disappointment and then like, oh, well, well, it's not that bad. Yeah. It's not that bad. And part of that was because, first of all, I guess, because it wasn't rape, which, you know, <laughs> so in the in the spectrum of sexual harassment, it's, you know, on one, on a further, you know, less bad end. But the other side of it was simply that, and I recognize this in myself, was that I really didn't want to believe that because I, it was that experience of Dustin, no, Dustin Hoffman's one of the good ones. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman is one of the good guys. You know, I... I grew up with, you know, his hook was was part of my childhood, you know. And I think so many people remember that, that video he did a couple years ago when they asked him about making yeah. Tootsie and he got physically upset about how he had objectified women in the past. And you have to, like, he hasn't come out and said yes or no. He hasn't denied or or um, said anything about these allegations. And I, I'm wondering like what the timeline is. Like, is he acknowledging, when he made that Tootsie video, was he acknowledging like the horrible person that he was? Or was that a front? If it was a front, then that makes him a fucking horrible human being. I don't, mm-hmm. see, I don't think that it's a front. I, but I also think that there's a certain degree of contradiction that's going on with a lot of these men. Is that, I, I, I believe what he did in the Tootsie video. I think that that was honest. At the same time, I think that undoubtedly he was harassing this girl and it was a result of it was a result of the person that he was and of what he thought he could get away with and of maybe not thinking that it was that big of a deal. That this was just like, oh, we're just playing around, you know, and that kind of attitude is seems contradictory with the other side of like, oh, I've I've objectified women in the past and I'm sorry about that. But at the same time, he's he can hold both of those ideals at the same at the same moment and be one person and also be the other. So it doesn't mean that like he's putting up a front or pretending to be good when he's actually bad. I don't think it's that level. There's it's both at the same time. Yeah, the Meryl Streep stuff. Um, this is actually taken from an interview she did in 1979. So again, this was out in the world for decades. Um, that when she had made. Kramer versus Kramer that he had grabbed her breast. There's also stories in 1992 he said in an interview that when he had worked on The Graduate with Catherine Ross that he had uh, pinched her her backside when they were doing a screen test as a means of quote loosening her up. So I mean the problem is is that we're seeing all these interviews and we look at the dates that they came out we're like holy shit how did this bypass us so you know in the age of information. It bypassed because locker locker room talk boys will be boys yeah. this is the prevailing mindset especially i would say coming from that generation of men yeah. that probably when these interviews came out the reactions were oh you know yeah her and up. it's and you have a time where women were just like well they just had to shrug their shoulders and let it go if they wanted to continue to work and so they didn't talk about it. And now so much time has passed that a lot of them have just been like, well, why bring it up now? Well, thankfully, now is the time to well, bring and it's, it up. It, it hurts me, you know, to look at the, the Hoffman stuff, especially in the light of something like Kramer versus Kramer, which is one of, it's a fantastic movie. And you, I, I know that I always heard stories that, that him and, and Meryl Streep did not get along when they made that movie, mostly because Dustin Hoffman was like method and stuff like that and they weren't supposed to. But when you watch Kramer versus Kramer, and it's something that I've always had a problem with, is that 
the Meryl Streep character is really presented in a poor light. And you find out, She's yeah, awful. and you find out that she wanted to film a scene to shed light on her character's motivations. And that the director was okay with it, but Dustin Hoffman was the one who told her, quote, why don't you stop carrying the flag for feminism and just act the scene? Like, ugh, why? I mean, I, I think the, I think that everybody, we've, we've said this a couple of times, we're going to have to accept the fact that there are a lot of our, yeah. our favorites that that have behaved badly in the past, that probably behaves badly, you know, I mean, if you go back to the classical period, Oh yeah, you know it's mm-hmm. gonna be really tough to keep any favorites if if we're going to say like we have to just not appreciate or experience any of those films that these men are in. I do think that there's a little bit of flexibility there with the time period that there's an acceptability of what is considered to be harassment and what isn't, mm-hmm. and that's not saying that's not saying that like oh well this was 1939 therefore this was fine. No, it's still yeah. terrible, but. We're we're just gonna have to deal with the fact that that existed and be able to move on with it. So we do, with, yeah. With, with someone like Hoffman, you know, it. What's really troubling to me about it is that the the girl who uh, the initial accuser, and now that I think a few more have come forward, yeah. she was like seventeen. Right. Exactly. She, I was just gonna. She mention was that. a very young woman on a set with, at that point, someone who was a huge star. Someone who had a lot of power in Hollywood. And even if it never went any farther than him making crass comments, you know, I think all of us as women have had crass comments shouted at us, have had men that maybe we thought were our friends make those kind of comments either about other women or about us within our hearing. Yep. And we're, we're meant to sort of brush it off and be like, oh, no, it's just, you know, I just got to act like one of the guys because I, I can't show that I'm uncomfortable. Or if I show that I'm uncomfortable, I don't have a sense of humor. And, and that attitude is just something that has to stop. It has to end now. You know, we can't change what happened in 1985, but we sure as fuck can change what happens yeah. in 2017. This isn't acceptable anymore. That was my, that was my dog right. barking Absolutely. in the background. <laughs> I think he agrees. Um, yes. Commentary. Um, well, I think that that's a good segue to the bigger one that came out this week, which was, was Kevin Spacey. This whole thing started on Sunday. Anthony Rapp, who, if you w- have watched Adventures in Babysitting, or have you, if you've seen Rent, you you know who Anthony Rapp is. He uh, came out and said that in when he was fourteen years old, that Kevin Spacey um, essentially put him in a position that felt like it could have led to an assault. When Kevin Spacey, I think, was like twenty six at the time. Since then, several more young men um, have come out. Uh, several whom were underage at the time who've said that they've been in, they were in sort of weird relationships with him while they were underage. That they had been grabbed by him or uh, propositioned by him. House of Cards, pretty much everybody said it was a toxic work environment because Kevin Spacey was pretty much trying to proposition every male member of the staff and they have since shut down production on the season and are trying to find a way to kill his character off so so lauren brought up that the hoffman allegations kind of hit her personally the kevin spacey ones hit me personally i have been a kevin spacey fan since i saw bug's life i love that movie i love his voice performance american beauty is one of my favorite movies of all time there is not a movie that i can think of that does not have uh, a Kevin Spacey performance that I have appreciated and that I've, I've gone to bat and said that he's always the best part of something. And then this comes out. And it, and it hurt me mostly because it wasn't that he was in league with the garbage men of, that we've seen in the wake of Weinstein, but it's the fact that it was a child. And that, that's a whole different level of, of just disgust and horror. And you can go on Twitter or Facebook and argue that it's not pedophilia because pedophiles only go for kids 13 and under. I don't give a fuck about your semantics, okay? It's <laughs> child predatory nature. I mean, it's somebody that is trolling for somebody because they're young and playing on that. I mean, that is just horrific to me. And it breaks my, my heart for, for Anthony Rapp and all the other people brave enough to come forward. Yeah, the thing about the age, the 14 and 13 thing, that's just a legal cutoff because they have to have one. That is nothing to do with how bad this really is. And 14 years old, that's... I I can't even come up with the right word for... I I want to say that there's... Because I'm just... 
there's a there in one of the interviews with one of his um one of the young men that's come forward and and said that they were in a relationship um that he was not comfortable with when he was 14 there's a great quote where he says you know i look at children and i try to think from that person's perspective and he's all and i can't he's all because i can't see a child as a sexual object like that and and that's exactly what it is it is not a normal way of thinking you know it's not something that you can try to empathize with or or understand because you just don't think that way so so this like hit my heart it like it's still i cannot figure out how to rectify how much i i love the movies with how horrible the person who I used to appreciate for those movies was like this this is the one that I'm gonna have to really like do some soul searching and try to see if I can even like watch those things again in the same in the same way yeah well I started what I came home from work the other day it was like Monday or something I came home and I turned on the tv and I start watching seven exactly and it was the scene where Morgan Freeman goes over <laughs> to Brad Pitt and Gwyneth Paltrow's house and they're having dinner and it's just really it's a like a really light scene in the middle of this horrible dark movie it's not a horrible movie I love it but this like really dark movie and I'm watching it and then I start thinking because I haven't watched it in years and then all of a sudden I started thinking more about what's coming later and then I started remembering oh my god damn it Kevin yeah. Spacey's in this I can't watch this right now and I had well, to speak of T- you know speaking of things that I realized like and I'm sure TCM is like burning this as we speak but there was much like Brett Ratner talking about Kirk Douglas on TCM there's a beautiful remembrance for Jack Lemon that Kevin Spacey did because Kevin Spacey grew up uh, under Jack Lemmon's wing and, and has talked about how much of an idol he was. He does a really great Jack Lemmon impression. And I, he's Are not going to ruin Jack, Jack Lemmon for us. For um, thank God. But I mean, it's just it's things like that where you're like, they cultivate. And I think that's the most insidious thing about certain actors who have just been working for so long. They've cultivated. And that's the nature of Hollywood itself. You get fooled and seduced by the persona. You know, they've cultivated this this amazing persona that makes them come off like you you understand and you relate like you know I love Jack Lemmon Kevin Spacey loves Jack Lemmon we should be best friends like you know that that's the the harsh thing and then you look back and it's why I I bring up the Tootsie thing with Dustin Hoffman and I I have to ask myself is that you know is that a, a deliberate manipulation is that a perpetuation of something to make you like them again it, it's hard not to think of that in the same mode as like fucking child molesters you know it's, it's a it's a game to make you like them and to you know entice you to in in the case of actors give them money you know go see their work but i mean just the whole thing is just so fucked this is to circle back on something Lauren said earlier. This is what this is what separates. I mean, yes, a lot of people did and said a lot of dumb things back in, you know, back in class the classical days and you know, there is some degree of we have to be willing to just accept that that happened and move forward. But with Kevin Spacey with Harvey Weinstein, we're talking about actual assaults yeah. here. We're talking about we're talking yeah. about actions against minors. We're talking about criminal offenses. And that is a completely different situation. Yeah, you look at you look at to go back to the classical era. You look at like the greatest example I can think of is Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn openly mm-hmm, dated yes. under eighteen. I mean, he was like the Roman Polanski of the classic era, um, and was brought up on charges of of statutory rape numerous times. Didn't Teflon? Okay, and then he ended up like leaving the country so that he could live on a boat with his underage, you know, lover. And I still love watching Errol Flynn movies. And I think Errol Flynn is cultivated in the time since his passing this air that is not unlike Roman Polanski or Harvey Weinstein, this playboy image. Like he was just so magnetic. Women mm-hmm. from all ages wanted him. Um, and it's that that era of, of what Kimberly said, locker room talk, that that ability of, well, they're just so magnetic, you know, and it's just it's just what men do. And we're slowly seeing that narrative be focused on again and being rewritten to be like no it was gross then it's gross now yeah yeah well one of the interesting things about the the kevin spacey thing so so anthony rapp that was quite obviously something that he did not want right Right. kevin spacey like his his accusations are that kevin spacey like laid down on top of him basically 
and that he was able to to finally leave the apartment. The other young man, or now an, an adult man, who talked about having a relationship with Spacey when he was 14, as he, as he put it, if you had asked me at the time, was this a consensual relationship, I would have said yes. So there's this whole complicated aspect of the of Spacey essentially having preyed on, definitely preyed on this young man, but also having this the, the whole concept about statutory rape is that people under a certain age cannot consent. Right. They aren't grown mm-hmm. up enough to consent. And, and it is within the responsibility of the adult to not go there <laughs> with someone of that age. So, but it does begin to get into those very, very disturbing and bizarre spaces where you're talking about teenage actors, you're talking about teenagers being grown-ups, looking like grown-ups, behaving like grown-ups, but we have to keep on reminding ourselves these are not grown-ups. They can't say yes because they don't know what they're saying. Right. Well, and what I've been what I've been struggling with, especially with this Kevin Spacey, I mean, we we keep hearing about, you know, the 14-year-olds, but each of these men, I mean, Hoffman has there's a 17 year old I can think of at least it was I Kate Beckinsale the, with Weinstein I believe they said Kate Beckinsale was uh-huh. 17 these people are under the age of consent and I'm this semantics discussion that for some reason it's you know everybody's so horrified with Kevin Spacey because all of these so many of these people have been yeah and, and we want to argue about yeah and and there are people i'm not saying there are prominent film critics out there who want to argue about how well it's technically not pedophilia you know because he's not trolling the high schools just because a girl is 17 yeah it doesn't make it, it any make worse it than if she was 12 like right. it shouldn't I, I don't understand how there's there's that that distinction made um and kevin spacey decided to create an apology which was really half-assed and pretty much said as a gay man uh he it was a coming out slash apology and first of all if you didn't know kevin spacey was gay i want to meet you because we all kind of like knew (laughs) like we all knew it it's the worst kept secret and well i don't know if it's that i think it's just that we all just assumed it you know I've been hearing that story probably since American Beauty. I've yeah. just well, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's never been something where it's like, oh yeah, he definitely is. It's yeah, just we all just, just kind of knew. Was, I think. You know? um, but but people were talking about how it set a very dangerous precedent because it was almost like he was saying that as a gay man, this is just what happens. And people were saying it's going back to the concept of gay men being child molesters. You know, and, and it sets a really dangerous yeah. precedent mm-hmm. that I'm sure he knew when he wrote it or when somebody wrote it for him. That statement came out quick, too. Oh, yeah. That yeah, was absolutely. within minutes of the initial Anthony Rapp article dropping. Oh, yeah. they. It had he, been percolating, I think, for it. a couple of weeks. Uh, for a couple of days, there had been messages on Twitter talking about how Kevin Spacey had, had assaulted certain people. And names were not given, but the implication was that it was going to be coming out. And it, and it did um, within the coming days. So I, I do want to throw out really quickly before we switch gears. Kevin Spacey screwed me out of a fucking Gore Vidal biopic starring Griffin Dunn as Leonard Bernstein. So as after Kevin Spacey broke my fucking heart by being a disgusting, horrific human being, he fucked me out of a really great movie that could have been really good that starred Griffin Dunn, who is not a garbage person. So fuck you, Kevin. Fuck you. It's true. I just wanted to wrap this part of the conversation up with Zachary Quinto's res- or Quinto. It's I Quinto. Know supposed to say it, but Quinto. Okay, Zachary Quinto's response on Twitter was just like it was exactly what needed to be said. He said, "It is deeply sad and troubling that this is how Kevin Spacey has chosen to come out, not by standing up as a point of pride in the light of all his many awards and accomplishments, thus inspiring tens of thousands of struggling LGBTQ kids around the world, but as a calculated manipulation to deflect attention from the very serious accusation that he attempted to molest one. I'm sorry to hear of Anthony Rapp's experience and subsequent suffering, and I'm sorry that Kevin only saw fit to acknowledge his truth when he thought it would serve him, just as his denial served him for so many years. May Anthony Rapp's voice be the one which is amplified here. Victims' voices are the ones that deserve to be heard. Yay! Thank you. I'm. Um, thank you for reading yeah. that. Yeah. I've liked Zachary Quinto for a long time, and it's good to hear that. 
so so a couple other things in this dumpster fire of hell um at least we won't get a hefner biopic like that's Yay. silver lining Yay. um Yay. i mean we all knew brett ratner was a disgusting son of a bitch so i mean i don't really think we need to belabor that point um we did want to talk about juliana margulies because i think that that one is i again we're dealing with players that we've heard horrible stories about them but you know, this is one of those moments where you have to hear, you hear about a woman who's adapted to what has happened to her in the past and used it for, at least to prevent further, further issues later in life. So this was an article that came out from The Hollywood Reporter, and she had talked about how um, she went to a, a meeting with Steven Seagal. She was 23 years old. She was persuaded to meet him late at night by a female casting director. She said that she didn't want to go. The casting director said that she would go with her. She said they got to the hotel room and she demanded that the casting director go up with her and that uh, Steven Seagal showed up with a gun and that he let her know that he had a gun on him for a meeting she said that she was never raped or harmed but she didn't know how she ended up getting out of that hotel room or what could have happened and that when she went to meet harvey weinstein she demanded that somebody go up with her and that harvey weinstein got really mad and just brushed her off and sent her home and she did not get the role that she was auditioning for yeah, and let's clarify on, yes. on the steven seagal meeting she was by she herself. was by herself she i read that with the casting yeah, yeah yeah so so Again, Steven Seagal, we all know he's been accused multiple times of being horrible. But the fact that she had to kind of use her wits a second time to get out of this, I mean, just it shows you the resilience that women have to have. One of the things that really struck me just a couple weeks ago, this is going to sound so silly when I talk about it, but um, okay, so a couple weeks ago I was at the Animation is Film Festival and I was participating in the press junket, which is at a hotel. And you basically you have different people that you're there to, to interview and they're all in different rooms. And so the first interview of the day, they were still kind of getting things set up. And so I was interviewing, I was supposed to be there to interview two directors and I'm not going to say who it was cause I don't want anything to sound weird. Cause nothing, it was not anything weird. It was just this, I'm only telling the story cause it's an example of how easily things can happen. So basically they, the person that was running things and like putting us in the rooms took me and this this male director and put us in a hotel room together by ourselves, no one else, because the other guy hadn't shown up yet. And then she leaves because she's got to go take care of something and the door shuts behind her. And we just looked at each other like, what just happened? <laughs> like, it was just this really weird moment. And that was for us and it was perfectly innocent and everything was fine and everybody showed up a few minutes later. But for me, it just was really an interesting observation in how easily young women... Mm -hmm that are 17, 18, 19 years old, 23 in the case of Julianne Margulies, can think that they're entering a totally innocent situation and then quickly things get very out of control. Exactly. And and that's something, yeah. you know, when a lot of people ask, you know, well, why would actresses go up to these hotel room meetings? That's really how it is in the industry. It is how it's it is. done. It's I mean, when, when I did my interview um, with Sofia Coppola, we met at the Beverly Hills Hotel. We were not in a hotel room. We were in the restaurant there. But had she invited me into a room, I would not have been surprised because most celebrities want to be in a location that they're comfortable in. Hotel rooms, right. in, in many instances, high-end suites have a living room or some some yeah. means of separating the bedroom from from it's not like you're going to the motel six and you open the door and exactly. there's a bed right there i mean that's just how it is so yeah uh well and you want to go on I, I was just gonna say you want to impress on people that this is not the fault of the women no. and there's been this tendency now and i've we've heard it from some critics we've heard it from people like alec baldwin saying like you know well why didn't they do x or why didn't they do y why didn't they say something at the time why did they go up to his hotel room? why did why they take they the money why did they settle yeah exactly mm -hmm. all of this stuff just like we have to continue to remember and i think ronan farrow has continued to say this and a, and a lot of the women have continued to say this they are the victims the fault exactly. of the the fault lies with the perpetrators. The fault lies with the men that harass them, that rape them, that touch them inappropriately. You know, whatever, whatever 
location it is on the spectrum of sexual harassment. Yeah, I mean, I, exactly. I mean, fault is with the men. You look at how many women, and I do this frequently, and my my mother gets so scared, and I tell her like, oh, and then I realize that like I should be disturbed. Like, how many times do you get into an Uber a day with some strange guy that you don't know that you're trying, you know, mm-hmm. you hope that you're gonna make it there. And, I mean, that's the thing. It doesn't have to be meeting somebody in a hotel room. It could be just trying to get from A to B. And when you've got a female casting director telling you, everything's yeah. fine, it's fine, just go here, it's fine, I'm right here, yeah. why wouldn't you believe yeah. her? Uh, Ro- well, and that's and that's the other thing, that these men are being... These men have people around them that are enabling them. And it's not just other men. It's also a lot of other women. The culture is enabling them. People that comment on this stuff is enabling them. This, This is acceptable for some people. And those people are just as culpable in all of this shit as the actual abusers. Yeah. Um, yep, and Ronan absolutely. Farrow has said that he's working on an article to take down, quote, the machine that enabled um, these people to keep people silent for so long. A lot of people are saying the rumor is that um, page six is going to get thrown under the bus because they were known for um, writing a lot of stuff about uh, women who have come out now. Um, about Harvey Weinstein, um, a lot of these women were splashed across the pages of page six as as drunks and just non-reputable women, mm. all of that. So the story is far from over. But I mean, again, I've been saying it's going to get it's worse. Gonna it's going to get worse. Yeah. There are that. three men on my list that are not allowed to be garbage men. And if I find out that any one of them are accused <laughs> I don't. I just don't know what I'm gonna do. Okay. I, I will. Cr- I will cry for certain. There were some that will bring. Yeah. There are some that will oh, literally yeah. cause me to be like. I mean, I'm not saying I'm gonna open a vein, but I might like take to my room <laughs> for a couple of weeks. Um, certain, and I'm not gonna yeah. name them because I don't want to jinx them. Kristen is in seclusion. I will be in seclusion. <laughs> yes, mourning, mourning the loss of my belief in men. Uh, but let's let's take uh, things out with uh, some some reviews. Prefer hopefully of something positive. We all saw Thor Ragnarok this week. Yes, we sure did. So yeah, we did. Karen is very excited. Karen saw this before all of us, and I think I she's seen did. it twice. And now. I saw it again. Yeah, you paid money. <laughs> um, so I did. So Thor Ragnarok. This is the third Thor movie, umpteenth movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but the Thor seventeenth. Seventeenth. Thank you. Third Thor mm-hmm. movie. First oh one. God. I would say that's good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, directed by Taika Waititi. Uh, it stars all the usual players from this movie including Tessa Thompson and Cape Lanchette, who are newcomers. So I have no real love for Marvel. I've documented that. I have no real love for them. I go see certain movies. I watch certain TV shows if I have to. Um, but I went and saw this, and I really enjoyed it. This is what I felt Guardians of the Galaxy wanted to be. But instead of having the Chris Pratt smarmy, like, douchery, this was actually genuinely fun. I love that it looked like an 80s fantasy film. Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston, I thought, were actually given material that worked with how wooden they can sometimes be. Tessa Thompson was, um, I mean, I love Tessa Thompson in anything, but she was just amazing. Cape Blanchett was great. I love the cinematography. There were some really pretty shots. I just, I had a lot of fun with this. I was very, very surprised. We're going to let Karen vent effusively at the end. Um, but but Kimberly, what did you think? <laughs> oh, I loved it. I have been, and I I have I have much love for Marvel. I have been there pretty much since the beginning. I won't, I will not hide that at all. Um, I Thor has always been the kind of low point on the totem pole for me. And uh, no, I have tried. I have so tried. Kenneth Branagh is one of my favorite people. So when I heard he was directing, I believe it was. It was the. No, I'm spacing. It was the first it was Thor. The first, it was the first. First one. I was there. I was ready. And it they've they've always been all right, but never my favorite. And when I came out of this movie, this I was this is somewhere in my top five. I would say of all the Marvel movies to have came out. I, my review, I would say was borderline boring because I just could not find a bad thing to say about it. I'm kind of with everybody else. Tessa Thompson is probably my favorite female right now in the Marvel universe. I think she was the best developed, the best set up. She got the opportunity to do her own stuff and not be a love interest, which was so huge for me. And then Kate Blanchett was definitely I'd say one of the top in terms of Marvel villains they did such great work and gave everybody including Tom Hiddleston who I was a little worried about with the comedy 
chances to shine and i just thought it was amazing okay lauren did you did you see it you saw it uh, i saw it i saw it yesterday okay so uh, what do you yeah. think i'm i am with everybody else i loved it i i had a great time it was it was funny i think it was i i laughed all the way through it i mean it's the only marvel movie that i can think of that was just consistently entertaining and had so much great humor but also underneath the humor and this is i think probably due to Watiti is a lot of very serious stuff. I mean, it's about empire. It's about colonialism. Mm -hmm. It's about kind of male subjugation of female power and what that results in. Uh, I mean, I I don't want to throw out any spoilers, but there's like the, the whole arc of um, Kate Blanchett's character is really interesting. The backstory is very interesting. Jeff Goldblum. I mean, my I guess my 13 year old heart who is absolutely (laughs) in love with Jeff Goldblum was just so thrilled to see him on the screen like this he is at his Jeff Goldblumiest and I loved every single moment and I I think that I think Karen said to me earlier today just like oh yeah and Watiti actually let him do that and Mm -hmm. and it worked perfectly the other thing I have to say is the secondary characters I mean um the there's are several just like almost comic relief characters that actually wind up being incredibly important and doing a lot of work and being hilarious at the same time as they're like, oh, we're going to have a revolution. And it's it's wonderful. It really is a wonderful film. And I, I've always liked Chris Hemsworth. I've actually always enjoyed the Thor movies. I don't think they're like the greatest movies ever made, but they're fun. And I love Tom Hiddleston as Loki. And I particularly liked this where I felt like Loki finally got to be like he, he's always being treated as this god of mischief and that's what he is you know it's not so much that he's evil he's just like he wants to cause trouble and finally in this film that's what he got to do he's always out for himself and he's always like oh i've got i've got to like sort of throw a monkey wrench into everything and that's what he does and it's awesome uh so yeah i loved loved every moment i can't complain about it at all yeah no blade runner hatred Yay. level hatred there no <laughs> uh karen what about you Yes, yes, yes. Oh my gosh. I agree with everything everybody (laughs) said. I have been dying for like two and a half weeks, three weeks to talk about this movie because I saw it like, I don't know why I got such an early screening, but I did. And I was really excited about that. But then I was really bummed because I had to wait so long (laughs) to talk to anybody about it. But I just, I, I love that it's funny and it's fun. It was a really good reset for Thor's character by someone who seemed to actually Mm -hmm. understand Thor. And also Loki. I agree exactly with what you were saying, Lauren. Um, I love the the secondary characters. Tessa Thompson, like, I've been mad that they haven't had a Black Widow standalone movie. But if there is not a Valkyrie movie, I will riot because there needs to be. She was awesome. That character's great. And I really want to know more about her. Kate Blanchett was a fantastic villain. And it was so nice to have, like, an awesome female villain in this universe. I'm really excited about that. And uh, Taika Waititi, the director, having his um, his role, too, as the rock monster guy, he's hilarious, but, like, appropriate level of funny. It was never over the top. Uh, it always was just, like, just in just the perfect moments. And he has some of the best lines, you know? Yeah. Yes. And just great. And I, I loved all of it. One thing that... <laughs> was kind of funny yesterday I guessed it on another podcast and the entire two hours was talk about Marvel and Thor and all that and I was talking about how much I liked what they did with the female characters in this movie and like even Jeff Goldblum's right hand person is a woman and she's like super brutal person her response for everything is basically just to kill people or whatever (laughs) but she's so funny and it's like awesome that she's there you know and anyway so I made this comment about how I really liked the female characters and then of course one of the men on this podcast starts talking about how the women weren't given a lot of you know respect in the film and their characters weren't well developed and all this and i'm just like uh, here what? we freaking go again <laughs> you know like oh my gosh well, so you're no, sitting no, here no, explaining no, no. to me about uh-huh. how the women are treated in this movie that i am praising what so. i love that that lauren brought up and because i just wrote an article about this um that you know hella there's a, a beautiful scene uh and so much of this movie just is shot beautifully uh, mm-hmm. I, I love that it's a movie that embraces color 
bright color like pastel like um it's not you know grim dark or or just basics but there's a scene where she's looking at paintings that look like renaissance um catholic church paintings that have you know odin and loki and thor with little little deified halos over their head Uh and i love that this is a movie where she is just like bitch i need to i'm the first woman born to this group and i was thrown over because i was female and it wasn't that you know the, the fact that Odin has gone from this malevolent god, uh, this vengeful character, to this malevolent god. I mean, you, you can you tie that back into stuff like Paradise Lost and the Bible. I mean, it goes deep in a Thor movie. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's amazing that she's like the foundations, basically, of all of this. And she's kind of like, you know what? We have, we're going to talk about this now. We're going to talk about the fact that this is all built on violence and death. And that's what I am. And Odin kind of tosses her out because he decides that he wants to be she better. She didn't fit his yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exa- exactly. Like, he, he, he uses her. Yep. He uses her, and then he discards her, and he imprisons her. And that vengeance comes back. And, she, and one of the things that I also really liked, and I mentioned this on Twitter earlier today, was that the villains got to be funny. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I know that, that that seems like a very odd thing to say, but they got to be funny, and as a result, they felt more human. They weren't just being evil for the sake of being evil. It was like, no, they have a depth level of characterization, they make jokes, they make errors, they try to justify themselves, they, they try to explain themselves. You know, even the, the Jeff Goldblum character is a very funny character. He's also this horrible dictator. And it's both. So you don't, no one gets left, let off the hook on this one. Um, It isn't just good versus evil. It's like, no, there's a lot of complex stuff going on here. And again, it's a Marvel movie. Ultimately, everybody's the good guy in their own story. And this is one of the, really one of the first Marvel movies that you've seen that development of the villains to, these are legitimate people. These are legitimate characters. Who and watching it with Kate Blanchett's character, I totally saw where she was coming mm-hmm. from. You know, it's yeah. I Ronan the Accuser in Guardians of the Galaxy did not do that for me. There was not the same development. There. Yeah, and that's one of the best marks of a good, well-developed villain is that you can kind of see their point. Yeah, and Kate Blanchett looks flawless. Can we all talk oh, about like so I want to know what oh, what, God, yes. yeah. what so river amazing. she is bathing in because it is amazing. Right. Yeah, and Tessa Thompson. Oh, go oh, on. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, Tessa Thompson, like, I know that Marvel deserves some crap for not giving her the bisexual, like, scene that she wanted that would have hinted at her sexuality, but I, I just, I loved her so much. She's, like, on par. I love that the women are at least physically on par with Thor in terms of strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and some yeah. are even, Hela is actually more powerful than Thor, um, which mm-hmm. I, and he admits he that. does. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I love that. And I love that Thor, you know, the first two movies kind of situated him as either this fish-out-of-water, dumb bohunk type of character or this guy who only belonged on his realm and was still kind of, like, smarmy and perfect. And here it was sending that up a little bit. Like, his whole, that's, because that's what heroes do. And all every time he says that line, it's undermined yeah. by, you know, him getting hit in the head or something. St- I mean, it, mm. it really... <laughs> almost lampoons marvel itself which i thought was really fun yeah i was just gonna say he also has grown as a character mm-hmm. um and even more i think probably the most actually of any of the major marvel heroes uh he's actually gone from being like yeah this golden boy who's just like i am the best at everything to sort of being like i really need people's help and i'm really trying to <laughs> do my best and i just want to protect everybody that's all that's all i need you know he he's able to to be that and to and he even says things like that um that he's really just trying to do his best mm-hmm. and and that's impressive to to see that in a character particularly in a character that is so formed on machismo right mm-hmm. and being like you know this perfect golden man and but he's actually like oh, he's a bit silly and he makes mistakes and he's just really trying to protect everybody as best mm-hmm. he can yeah absolutely karen you uh, you want to throw out a final thought I, one of the things that I love, <laughs> I read this interview with Taiko Waititi, and the reason that he said that he took this is just because he wanted to see if he could. 
And I was just like, that's so <laughs> awesome and refreshing that he's like, that's yeah, I just awesome. wanted to see if I could make a $100 million movie. And guess what? It's at $427 million worldwide this weekend. So, And, and once again, awesome. another movie where the background character is not all white. Like, I was so happy to see right? that there are yeah. so many people of color populating this movie. So, Well, and a big reason for that is the fact that Waititi is New Zealand Maori. Right. And so he's used to... He's he's in a situation where he is a minority in his country, and he fills his films with a very diverse cast. So Yay. I'm glad that he got to do that with Marvel, too. So Okay, so, so we're going to wrap. Bring him back, Marvel. Exactly, bring him back. Uh, so we're going to wrap things up. What's on everybody's agenda? We are actually going to take a hiatus. We will not be... Um, uh, up next week because Karen well, and we'll I will have a mini sode next week. We will have a mini sode next week, but it will not be with the full the full round table. Um, Karen and I will actually be at AFI Fest seeing some Yay. movies, um, and then I will be at Disneyland for part of that too. So um, we will be reconvening uh, sometime the week of the nineteenth. But what is everybody uh, seeing in the next couple of uh, or what's I, I mean, looking at what's out? Um, I know that I will see. I'm seeing Coco. And Murder on the Orient Express this week before I leave for AFI. Anybody else? I'll jump in. Um, I have Lady Bird on top Oh, it's so Uh, fucking good. I can't wait to talk about that movie. uh, Murder on the Orient Express. um, Call Me By Your Name. My schedule's a little up in the air, but call me by your name. I hate you, Kimberly. I hate you. Actually, (laughs) everybody cross your fingers and say a good thought that I get into that screening next Friday at AFI Fest. I will be waiting in line as long as I have to. Uh, Lauren, what about you? What are you? What's on tap? My intention is Murder on the Orient Express. That's that's the big one, and I know that like I'm very nervous about it. I want it to be good, but I'm perfectly prepared for it to be awful. <laughs> and Karen, anything before AFI Fest? Uh, just I'm gonna sneak in Murder on the Orient Express. That's uh. it. But I didn't get a screening, so I have to pay for that on my own dime. Thank you. So <laughs> so when we come, we need to get them to sponsor the show. Yes, when we come back, <laughs> when we come back on the 19th, hopefully we'll be talking uh, Lady Bird. Murder on the Orient Express. And by that time, I think three billboards outside Ebbing's, Missouri will be out. Justice yep. League will yep. be oh, out. So you can <laughs> so you can uh, plan for us to probably do... I, I'm wondering if it might be worthwhile to just do a review show <laughs> when we come back. But we will discuss yes, that. Please, Hollywood, try to behave for the next yes. two weeks. Men, so we don't no more garbage people. Men, <laughs> please be good, guys. Okay, just try. Try for decent me. Decent human beings. Okay? Just be decent. Exactly. Um, Love uh, each for other. two weeks. That's all we ask. <laughs> and forever after that. Uh, as always, you can reach us uh, a variety of ways. Karen, where are we on the internet? We are at Citizen Dame Pod on Twitter and Facebook.com slash Citizen Dame. So you can always check those out. We are also on citizendame.podbean.com. We are also on Stitcher Radio, if memory serves, um, or on iTunes. If you uh, listen via iTunes, please consider helping us out. Uh, We would like a regular, um, because we don't have enough reviews yet, we don't get a rating. So we would like a rating, an official rating. So please leave us a rating and review if you like us, if you hate us. Um, Just leave us something. But mostly if you like us. Mostly if you like us, yeah. We we would like to um, have some likes more than dislikes. So uh, as always, we are the Citizen Dames. I am Kristen with Karen. Hi. Bye. Uh, Lauren Humphreys Brooks. Hello. And Kimberly Pierce. Goodbye. And we are saying goodbye. We'll be back in two weeks. See ya. See ya. Bye.